Hello, my name is Joe Hogan. Many of you know me as Epic Grays in various video games and social media. Welcome to episode 39 of Geektitude, a geek culture podcast that celebrates the inner geek in all of us. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by artist and illustrator Steve Ellis. How are you doing today, Steve? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How are you doing? Pretty good. Thank you so much for joining us early on a Sunday morning. Appreciate it. No worries, actually. <laughs> for you than it is for me, so it's no problem. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not too bad, though. It's a nice sunny day. It's already pretty warm out here in Palm Springs, so it's going to be a hot one. Oh, yeah, not bad. <laughs> it's going to be similarly hot here. I'm, I, I live in upstate New York, and it's gonna be, we've been incredibly hot lately. Yeah, and you have the humidity to deal with on top of that, huh? Uh, it's not so bad where I live, but yeah, if I was living in the city when I used to live there, man, it was brutal. All right, well, we're going to get to know you a little bit before we get to the um, the reason why we're talking today. Uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, let's see. Uh, I've kind of been a gaming and comics artist for about, um, actually, a little over 20 years, which is crazy. Um, and uh, let's see, I, I've i done video game stuff for um, The Walking Dead and Breaking Bad for AMC, and I've done some comics for them as well for those projects. Uh, when I first got into comics uh, in 93 or 94, uh, I started working at Marvel, um, mm-hmm. and so basically I've kind of like jumped around at Marvel and DC for a few years, and then started getting into uh, role-playing game art. Um and started doing stuff for the horror role-playing games from White Wolf Games, and then eventually moved into doing high fantasy stuff for D&D, and then Magic the Gathering, and then about 2008, I went right back into comics. And, uh, I mean, not that I ever really stepped out, but I basically got back into comics with a project called High Moon. Um, And then, uh, and since then, that was, you know, a pretty big chunk of my time for about four years. And then... uh, since then, just been doing a bunch of like different comic book things, and um, but I mean, one of the things that's really funny is I really I realized like looking at that when when I was preparing for this, I was like, wow, I really like making stuff. So I've made role playing games, comics, card games, like from scratch, and been part of those products as well as video games. So it's really uh, I like making things and telling stories. So basically, I do anything that's like that. So uh, that's been my motivation. That's so awesome. Do you have a favorite uh, genre you like to um, draw for, or is you know is there um, a medium that you use more than others? It's funny. Yeah, lately I've been very, very, very pen and ink uh, because I've been doing mostly comics, um, and I do I do a lot of the digital coloring myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I miss the days of pulling out the giant acrylics and doing big paintings of you know dragons and monsters and stuff. So it's 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 funny. Um, I my wife will say that like I tend to when I'm working on a painting, I want to draw comics. When I'm working on comics, I want to do a painting. <laughs> and when I want to do both of those, I want to sculpt. So I'm just basically kind of all over the place. I usually have three different things going on at once that I'm working on and kind of dabbling in while I'm working on a project. And one of the things I've always been curious about is when when you're you're an artist for a living. Um, I'm assuming that you started being an artist because it's something you enjoyed and you you did because you loved it. Do you find that you still get time to create just for you, or is it most of the time still just you know getting the next project out? It's funny. Um, yeah, I, I, there are days when you sit there and you're like, when will this 
project be done because so I can get onto something fun. And then you stop mm. and you go, wait a minute, I created this thing. This is a blast. Why? You know, it's <laughs> funny how often things how how it becomes your daily grind, mm-hmm. um, even though like you're making it up and it's your project and it's your baby. And but it, but it it can be it can seem like oh I have to get this done by the deadline and that you know that deadline pressure can really kind of um make it feel like work but i mean uh yeah i mean i i it's it's the the hardest part i think is juggling um creative personal or you know or even creative more than personal projects like the only living boy uh with ones that are um a little more functional like mm-hmm. doing them for like you know like right now i'm doing a a project for a uh it's like it's a graphic novel for a, a company, um, not a comic book company, but like a, um, like a, a, it's actually a, what would you call it? A science think tank company. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's a really, really amazing project, but it's not the same kind of thing. as just like making this up and having fun. Like there's a lot of like, like, you know, details that need to be exactly right for the science and be, mm-hmm. <clears throat> a little difficult to manage and juggle, but you know, but it ultimately it's going to be an awesome thing. It's just um, that's where it becomes really hard. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Um, well, you you're, you've got your hands in all areas of kind of geeky uh, media. Do you, uh, where where does your geekitude lie? Where what areas of of geekiness do you tend to spend the most time in? Well, you know, it's funny. I was I was I was thinking about that as a you mean like as a non-working geek? Yes, when when you're when you're you're enjoying your downtime. I absolutely uh I was cuz I was thinking about this like I love watching I love watching films for one. And mm-hmm. um but like I also love I don't know what you call it cuz it's hor- I would call them horror fantasy like the Dresden Files. Mm-hmm. And the Monstermologist which a lot of people don't know about but is really amazing. Uh, I was going to ask you about that because I'm familiar with Dresden and I've read the first couple of books and and want to read more, but I love that kind of uh, urban fantasy genre and and so I was curious that uh, about that because I haven't heard of it. Yeah, no. Uh, well, well, Dresden is definitely the urban fantasy thing, and that's really awesome. The Monstermologist is is a is a young adult novel that mm-hmm. does not read. My son was reading it, and I was I decided to start reading it. He's like, Dad, you'd love this. I mean, it reads like a really horrific Lovecraft story, but it's okay. And, it, and it, I'm amazed that they allowed you know twelve year olds to read it. Like it's like <laughs> it's really it's really nihilistic and dark, and it's very awesome for my love of that kind of you know uh, Lovecraftian horror. But uh, but you know it's really really dark. Um, but that's like a new book, and then but like it's funny because I don't like calling it Lovecraftian because like. A lot of people think he invented it, but there were guys like Robert Chambers and Arthur Mackin who were doing that kind of stuff long before him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get, you know, I like like films like Del Toro's stuff, uh, mm-hmm. like and um, and Terry Gilliam, and I don't know if you have ever seen um, City of Lost Children or Delicate. I haven't. Oh, they are they're visually absolutely stunning. Like Delicatessen uh, is amazing, and the City of Lost Children is just absolutely stunning to watch and it's it's in french so you have to read it but mm-hmm. it's amazing it's like one of those visual uh it's so richly visual it's like um every every like screen is a is a is a a beautiful like kind of horror sci-fi painting you know it's amazing 
That's very cool. Yeah, that's very cool. If my friend Ray is listening, he needs to. We need to to make a night of that. That sounds like okay. a, a fabulous night of of movie watching. Yeah, uh, Delicatessen is really cool because it's 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 very dystopic future. And then City of Lost Children. I don't even know what you would call it uh, from a genre standpoint. It's just amazing. Uh, they're both by the same directors, who are actually graphic novelists from France. That's why I, I actually got hooked into them. That's really cool. I I think it's it's amazing how different people with different artistic backgrounds will look at filmmaking very differently. You have actors who are are filmmakers, you have artists who are filmmakers, you have editors that are filmmakers and they all have different ways of approaching the the medium. I think it's it's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I I didn't realize how much I gravitate towards illustrators who make films because uh three of my favorite directors are like Terry Gilliam was an illustrator first and uh Ridley Scott was an illustrator first and then <clears throat> the two guys on um on uh on City of Lost Children were illustrators uh so yeah I guess <laughs> I'm I'm uh, I'm uh, biased right yeah well you're, well you're allowed to be <laughs> <laughs> well, very cool um anything else you really geek about well um I, well you know it's funny because I, I was gonna say the because about about just about uh, film is I work on a <clears throat> excuse me I work on a film festival in town and mm. until I did, until I uh, until I started getting involved in it I didn't realize what was going on but this film festival is a it's called the Fantastic Film Festival um, and it's all essentially horror science fiction and fantasy type films mm. more horror sci fi than anything else but um, they put together this amazing show and. Every year they have like 40 or 50 different films from around the world that are being made today that are like low budget. And we get to see stuff from like Korea and China and like the, the, like, uh, Eastern Europe that I never would see anywhere else. And it, I mean, the, the visual styles of different people around the world and the weird, horror, creepy, bizarre things they come up with are, are really amazing. So I geek out about that. So I just like seeing what other people do differently. That's very cool. I, I remember one, uh, one Halloween in my early 20s, my roommate was like, we have nothing to do. It's in the middle of the week, so we're not going to go out to a party or anything. So let's just watch this this video that I have that's like four or five different short films from different Asian countries. And they were um, all horror films. And they were very distinct and very different than what we get here. I don't think people realize how different um, horror is it, outside of the US. Yeah, it's it's really like, you know, it's goes far beyond the whole slasher uh thing into like, you know, all kinds of different uh all types of different genres I never even thought about. Like yeah. you know, a few years ago there were all those ghost movies from from Japan. Mhm. And the way they made those movies were so creepy because they were so I don't know, when they tried to americanize them they were they they they, they fell. I can't remember the name of them, but they they fell apart when they americanized them, but the Japanese versions were terrifying because they just had different ideas of what was scary. Yeah, wasn't The Ring and The Grudge the two that were... Oh, yeah, yeah, The Ring. Oh, man, that was... Yeah, I just remember seeing that and I was just being stunned because I didn't expect it. Yeah, yeah. Very cool, very cool. Are there areas where you're you're not so geeky? You, you don't jump into that conversation when it's around? I am a complete failure at video games. 
<laughs> you know, no, it's funny because like when I was a kid, like you know, I grew up in, in you know with uh, like Space Invaders and stuff like that, and I had like a you know one of those machines, you know, Atari that did all the Defender and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But like I, I, but but I never made the transition to the much more intense games that came around afterwards because I was when I was in college, I kind of decided I had a friend who went the way of playing video games, and then I went the way of making artwork. Said mm-hmm. I want to make more art, and he wanted to play more video games. So I, he, we kind of diverged because I realized that if I devoted my time to games, I'd never, I'd never get any artwork done. I'd never get the you know, projects done. So I right. kind of stopped playing games, and so then I, I, I missed a few years of it, and then it was like I can't look back. Like there's, you know, I've tried, but I don't understand it in the same way. Like um, my fingers don't do the buttons the way they're supposed to do them. You know. Well, the number of controller buttons have have grown exponentially. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like for me, it's like there should you know for me, I need like a to- uh, what do you call it? Not a toggle, uh, a joystick and a button or two, you know? Yeah, exactly. Beyond that, I'm like, wait, I hit B and A and then this X at the same time, and this happened. Okay, uh, I'll try that. So I end up being the person who plays Mortal. Well, back back then, I was the guy who played Mortal Kombat, just hitting all the buttons as fast as I possibly could, mm-hmm. uh, just to see if maybe I could you know create a cool move but uh yeah no i so so like while i love the visuals of video games um i never i i've never uh and i've worked on video games and i get the like telling a story through a video game mm-hmm. um and i like the making of it when i've when i've done that but i've never been able to be uh as consumed as i would want to be in a video game as i see other people get the that's understandable me you know yeah. Well, and and it's funny. I just saw a video on YouTube where they introduced uh, modern teenagers to the, you know, old school NES. Oh yeah. And um and they, you know, once once they figured out how to turn it on and how to, you know, blow into it to get it to start, um they they tra- tried to play the old school Super Mario and a lot of the the skill set that it takes to to play that game is not what t- it takes to play this game. So while we can't play their games, <laughs> they can't really go back and play our games either. Well, I had, a, I had a really cool experience. My son and I went to the Museum of the Moving Image in Queens, mm-hmm. um, and they had a uh, video game uh, like room or whatever display of all the original video games up to like '85. Oh, so wow. games that like predated me. Um, but they also had things like Space Invaders and Defender and, like, uh, uh, I can't even remember, like, all the Berserk and all these really old ones that I remember from when I was really little. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, and, you know, we were sitting there playing, like, it, it was actually, I super geeked out on that. Because I was like, I was like, you gotta check this out. This is Berserk. They're trying to kill you. This is great. Robots. And they're just, you know, <laughs> yeah, those graphics are so simple. But it was amazing, actually, how much he got into it. Because he has, you know, he has a was a PS3, and you know, it was amazing how much he got into uh, into playing it when when they were so they look so uh, simple compared to what what you get now visually. But he was like these he he actually seemed to like them better than the way like like the PS3 games because I think because they were quick and easy and you got in and out. Yeah, yeah. My uh, my husband's best friend growing up uh, has one of those big. Um, you know, multi-game cabinets in his basement. Oh. And he's got little kids, like, I don't know, five and six, 
kind of that age range. Oh. And um, and I, ta- I told him I was very proud of him because he's training them old school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is funny because, uh, you know, you see things like my son has Skyrim and I just sat there watching it for a while. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, is my are my painting skills just totally like out of, you know, we don't need them anymore. Like, because if they can do this, like, oh, man, the visuals are incredible. Uh because you know, and, and it's absolutely beautiful to watch. I just can't figure out how to use the controllers. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have an uh, a fandom that's kind of like your default favorite? Like you always find yourself going back to it. Oh yeah, well you know, uh, just you know, I was reading that question and I was like, yeah, that's uh, the first thing I thought of was Buffy the vampire. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's the well. Okay, no, I have to say Star Wars is the but I kind of feel like that's on that needs to go unspoken because everybody, uh, you know, everybody yes. powers. But you know, like, like if I if I'm like, oh, I, I'm just want to have something on that kind of like awesome. I put on Buffy, or um, you know, uh, lately I've been doing like the I've been I've been I I got HBO now and in my studio I had um, Game of Thrones running 24 hours for a while. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's one I'll go back to every time, but. <laughs> it's a little intense for that kind of uh, uh, rewatching experience. It's funny. Um, I have this tendency to have my screen on in the background while I'm working. So it's like because uh, I used to listen to radio and that was great and podcasts and those are great, but you just run out of material. So someone just put TV on and just listen to it. Cause I'm not mm-hmm. Looking at it because I have to focus on drawing. But what'll happen is I'll see entire. I'll listen to entire episodes or seasons of shows. And then get to watch them later on when I watch them with my wife and realize, oh, that guy's black? I never would have known that. Uh-huh. Or, or, you know, like, like totally not know what the character, like, I had a whole different vision of what the characters looked like in my head because I actually never saw the program. Um, so that's the way I've been watching Game of Thrones. I just kind of listen to the explosions and the, 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 uh, the swords clashing, you know, in the back of my head while I'm drawing other things. Uh, very, very cool. Any any others that you're, oh, you're yeah, well, okay. stand out for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm a big old school Star Trek fan. Uh, I love the original, um, and uh, just from the cheesiness factor, and and like mm-hmm. it's just so I I love it because it had really really great ideas and no no uh, no budget to be able to make them really look as good as they wanted, but they did such a good job with what they had, and and uh, and and then they just get so cheesy at times. It's great. Um, I, I love, um, well, I really love Firefly, but before that, Firescape, Farscape? I never was, a, a, got into, I've seen a few episodes of Farscape, but that was never my, my jam. It's funny, like, I know a lot of people get, get stuck on the, on the Muppets, and mm-hmm. throws them out of it, but like, I don't know, I watched that show, um, from the first episode, and there's, I just like the... There was a, there was a whole season where I think they did the most inventive stories. I always wanted I I always wanted Star Trek the Next Generation or whatever the future Star to have a little bit more at stake. I always felt like it was very uh, too clean. Yeah, they had a very um, there's a word that I I know I think we're both trying to come up with very sterile. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, approach to 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 it. It was very like they were safe in their little lab, almost whitewashed. Mm-hmm. 
I can see and that. when you look at Farscape, one of the coolest things is that the Federation is really the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And that's what I kind of liked. Is like the 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 it's the idea that these guys we you know the the bad guys I forget the name of them in Farscape were essentially the peacekeepers they're called right and they go around mm-hmm. and we make peace throughout the universe and you know in the process of making peace of course they roll over everybody else's culture and kind of you know overwhelm it with their own but um but to a degree they're kind of like the, the dark side of the Federation so I kind of like that um that aspect of them being this very you know seeing how there's that other side to this whole, like, you know, we're these perfect people going out into space kind of idea. Uh, right, yeah, the more oppressive feeling of it. Yeah, yeah, and even if the other characters don't necessarily think they're being oppressive. Right. That's that's what I think is fascinating, is the idea that we don't think we're being oppressive, but we are anyway, you know, like, it's just by the pre- by our sheer presence and power, we are being oppressive. So I, I think yeah. that's kind of fun, and they did a lot of really cool individual episodes that were really fun. Yeah, it's something I should uh, go back and at least try. It's it's not so much that I I didn't enjoy it. I just it wasn't something that I got exposed to and so I missed it by the time it was cuz it had quite a long run. Didn't it was on it? for 4 years. Yeah. They did they did one of the coolest things with a character I've ever seen in a story. I'm not going to say it cuz it'll ruin it, but in the third mm-hmm. season they did something with their main character that was just probably the coolest thing I've ever seen done in a story. Uh, in a film, at least. I mean, in TV shows. Uh, they took some now you've got risks. me intrigued. <laughs> they took some risks that I thought were pretty fun. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, I know we're going to be talking about um, The Only Living Boy in in a few minutes, but do you have any other projects that you're working on right now? Well, um, yeah, well, it's funny. I'm juggling a lot of things, some of which, like I told you, that science fiction project I'm doing. Uh, mm-hmm. and, um, and it looks like I'm going to be doing a, a, another project for a university, which is like, you know, that's the day job work. Um, but I am, I, I'm going to be doing some more high moon stuff, um, from my old, uh, my old high moon series. And I just did a, a cover for the preacher show that came out. Oh, cool. Um, so it was an, in the, for, uh, AMC did this thing where they promoted it with a bunch of covers by, by artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the business, and so I got to do one of the preacher covers, which that was really exciting because I got to watch. The, the special thing is I got to watch all the pre- episodes of Preacher before anybody else. So, nice. uh, so I had to keep my mouth shut for weeks about what was going on. Um, and I did. Uh, let me see. I did a, a horror western. Um, I did a bunch of illustrations for a horror western book called Deadlands. It's coming out in September. So I'm, I'm, I just finished those up. So I kind of feel like it's, it caught me in a time right after I finished a lot of things and I'm about to start a lot of other things. So like I'm in the process of getting Only Living Boy book four started. And um, and I, I, I worked on this book, Monsterwood, that I'm still continuing to work on with uh, this guy Jason Rosen um, and Skinwalker Studios. The first book came out a while ago, but now we're doing it like a – it's like a volume. It's like a, a graphic novel thick uh, volume book. So I'm working on that now. Too. You are a very busy man. <laughs> I, 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 if I don't have more than one thing going on, I actually tend to lose my mind. I, I need like at least three things happening at once so I can kind of focus on any one. It sounds backwards, but that's the way it works. Yeah, it makes it because if you're not feeling one, then why? You know, if you've got something else you can work on, you can still be productive and feel like you're. You're being true to what you want to do at that moment. I totally understand. It's, it's a holdover, though, too, from the feast or famine of my early career where you're like, I got an issue of a comic. Great. I do it. 
I'm done. Now what do I do for the next three months? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and so the 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 there's a certain aspect of like freelanceritis where you're like, I have to take everything I possibly can, but that's what I have just infected my my workflow. So I uh, I had to learn to juggle stuff. So it's it's kind of like if I'm not juggling things, I have to make things to juggle. Otherwise, I I uh, I, I can't focus. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I went a little out of order, and, and I think you, you talked about some of these things, but uh, are there any little hidden gems out there that you want to recommend to people? Oh, yeah, you know, it's funny, when it goes back to, like, movies, because um, I'm going to go back to movies, because that's what was on the top of my head. You know, uh, the film festival had all these awesome little movies in, that they had last year that, I, I mean, I never even heard of, because um, they're from, there's one called Liza the Fox Fairy, Mm-hmm. Really amazing fairy tale kind of movie about uh in from from Hungary. Hungary, I think, or uh from Eastern Europe. Um and then there was Moodwalkers, which was also at the festival, which was like um oh gosh, the guy who did Hellboy who who plays Hellboy. Uh I know who you're talking about. I the, the name's not there. Chin. Um, yeah. And it, it's basically all about, it's, it's uh, awesome. It's got like Ron Weasley's in it and, and, and Ron Weasley and Hellboy are in it. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> and, but it's about, it's about the, uh, the, uh, trying to control the U S government trying to get Stanley Kubrick to, uh, make a lunar landing film in case the lunar landing doesn't actually work. So, oh, how so they send Ron Perlman. That's it. So they send Ron Perlman, who's like an, uh, this like super agent guy, to England to hunt down Stanley Kubrick and pay him lots of money to uh, to make this film. And they only have a few days to do it because the the launch has already happened, and they're all just worried it's going to explode, and they don't want that to like if it does, they don't want anyone to know it. So right. they it, it becomes it, it, it it's. It's a pretty funny movie. It's uh, it, it becomes a really whacked out film, and it's uh, it's pretty bizarre. So that was like one of my favorite things. And then there was like this horror movie called Darling, um, that was at the festival uh, as well, and it was just like this amazingly scary, like uh, horror. Like I don't know, it was just awesome. It was like I can't even describe it, but. It, it was called Darling, and the, the director was there, and we got to talk to him and everything, And the, but the, the film was just amazing. starred this woman who was just absolutely beautifully haunting through the whole thing. It was really cool. Um, so, yeah, I guess I've been, I've been really into films lately. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, a, a couple of guys that we had on the show a couple of weeks ago, two, the Two Gay Geeks, uh, they have a, a, a podcast that's very geek culture centered and they've been doing a lot of independent films um we we talked to russell emmanuel a couple weeks ago who did um occupants and i i it's kind of inspired our i think my my interest in some of these smaller things because they they are interesting and they have these great stories behind them yeah and it's really made me actually like one of the things that the guy who works on the festival also is a uh a film producer and he's like, you should make a film, Steve, because you know how to do it, you know, with the because the storyboards and everything. I'm like, well, uh, okay, I got to figure this out now. So there's part of me that really wants to like try jumping into films, and I've actually worked on some scripts on the side, but I don't know when when or if that's going to happen anytime. But but it's in the back of my head. I just know that it seems like film would probably take over your life mm-hmm. in a way that you know, unless you have a big budget, you can't afford it. You know, 
Well, that's the thing. It's like unless you unless you have a lot of money behind you, it's it's a it's not a cheap and it's not a low risk venture. Yeah, I mean that's actually one of the reasons why I chose comics when I got out because uh, I was where I was when I when I got out of college. I say when I got out, my uh, my friend. Uh, Fred Van Lenty, I went to school with him. He writes, well, he was writing Spider-Man for a while. I'm not sure. Well, he's writing it Valiant a lot. Um, I don't know what he's writing right now. But he wrote Spider-Man for a while. He wrote Archer and Armstrong for a while. Um, he did Brain Boy for Dark Horse. But back in back when we went to college together, we were kind of writing, and uh, he was writing, and I was drawing the the, you know, the pictures together. And we kind of decided, like, yeah, we could go in to get into film, but we can make comics on a shoestring budget. Make mm-hmm. them overnight, you know. Like we really sit down and do it. They may not be the greatest comics in the world, but you get your idea out and you make it, and you can do it in a couple of days. And so, comics kind of became a really kind of what do you call it? Low budget film, kind of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it was able. It was able. I was able to like. So that, that's kind of how when I got out of school, I kind of gravitated towards doing more comics. But I think I kind of got on either way. It's just the other thing about film is that. You know, it takes a long time to become a director of a film. In a comic, you're already the director right off. Right. So it's kind of, you know, it's a lot faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and not quite as many people needed to uh, put the final product together. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Like, I, I have trouble negotiating the five or six people we need to do a comic. I can't imagine trying to coordinate the hundreds of people to make a film. Yeah, yeah, it's, it feels a little overwhelming. Oh, I imagine, <laughs> I imagine. It would be insane. Very cool. Well, thank you for for sharing uh, this stuff with us. I, I've got a lot of stuff I'm going to have to go back and start looking at <laughs> because you're you're introducing me or reminding me of some things that that I haven't uh, I haven't been into. So this is very cool. I can send you a list. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I, 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 yeah, I've been I've been trying to find stuff that I guess I'm a contrarian at heart, so I like to find I like to find things that surprise me that aren't what you expect to see. And what I often find, like, you find these people doing these doing these projects in faraway places, and they do these excellent things, and no one ever sees them do it. And it's like, wow, I want other people to know that they're doing it just to help those guys who are doing it feel like they're part of a bigger world. Because I know what it is to be in your studio and not actually ever get anyone to know, you know, not, not, not see what other people, when other people, like, interact with your artwork. So yeah. it's exciting to me to, like, say, oh, yeah, you should check this out, because... It expands the world of the artist, and it expands the world of the of the person watching it, you know, or seeing it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one of the things I've I've enjoyed about doing this podcast is that I I've been able to kind of shine lights on things that people are doing, and and everybody starts becoming very quick um, mutual promoters. Yeah, and I I think that's great because you get this little community of people who are fans of each other's work that all of a sudden are like, hey, this episode is out, go check this out, or hey, so and so mentioned this um this new comic book on their show, go go check it out, and it, you know, all of a sudden your your pool of people to talk about these things with expands exponentially. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's exciting like going to a comic book show and just looking like I always try to look for. It's really easy to see Captain America, so I always try to find the stuff that are that are that people are doing that aren't really on the radar. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I think is amazing because doing stuff in gaming, I saw a whole lot of different types of art styles that aren't in comics. Um, and I'm friends with a lot of the like painters and you know guys like that who do just you know um, really amazing work, and it's it's 
it's amazing like to, to open people up to different worlds and let them see, oh yeah, look over here and you'll see something totally different. And sometimes you'll see them all in the same place, but it's almost like you don't, if it's not part of your, your little bubble, you don't see it. I'm a, I'm a victim of it too. Like it's mm-hmm. not something I'm directly looking for. I don't necessarily see it. So going to a convention to like the artist alley and seeing like that one person who's doing a weird little gothic fairy tale comic over in the corner that doesn't look like anything else that anybody else is putting together. I want to go check that out because I want to see what they're doing differently. It's yeah. Exciting. Yeah, it really is. I'm, I, that's, that's why I leave the question in there. Cause it's always fun to find out those little things, those little nuggets of, of interesting things that people have in their back pocket. All right. Well, we're going to move on to all the other geeky things that we have done <laughs> this week. Um, I, covered a midnight release this week for the third issue of Civil War 2. Oh, wow. Yeah, at my local comic book store. And a big part of what today's episode was supposed to be was, um, was you know, the people that attended that and everything else. And I realized in the middle of my second interview that none of my recording equipment was working. Oh. So um, at the end of this episode, I am going to put my interview with the um, owner, uh, Adri- uh, Adrian, who uh, told us about the comic book, and and uh, and I wanted to make sure that I got that interview. I st- stole it off of our Periscope feed <laughs> before it, it came down. Oh, good. So that's why we still have that. But uh, but it was a fun evening. It was I've never been to a midnight release for a comic book. Um, it, it was neat. And then with, uh, and that kind of leads into, to some of the other geeky stuff I did is, uh, after everybody kind of browses the store for a while, there's not a whole lot to do. You know, it started at 10, so there's not a lot to do until midnight. So everybody just whipped out the phones and it was Pokemon Go time. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. In the store. In the store, yeah, and and uh, and uh, Adrian, the store owner, was talking about how his desk, right, or his chair, right behind the register, can pick up the the local, the the closest Poke Stop, uh-huh. and it's at a restaurant where people offer if you put a lure, if you can prove that you put a lure on the the Poke Stop, they will give you a discount. So there's always a lure. So there's always a Pokemon. <laughs> So he just, when he doesn't have anybody in the store, he just sits there and plays Pokemon. So we all found a nice little corner, and we sat there visiting while we played Pokemon. You know what's funny about what you just said, which I which which hit me the other day, and you just said it, and I was like, wow, yeah. Because you said there's always a Pokestop. I mean, always a Pokemon there. And I'm like, always. It's been out for a week. That's yeah. amazing. Like, if you think about how much it's infiltrated, like, so much of the world so rapidly. Like that you're, you know, like oh yeah, there's always a Pokemon there. Wait a minute, like for the last week. But I can imagine being so immersed in it. Like we already, like I've played it enough. Like I feel like it's already part of like the, you know, the 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 what do you call it? Um, the zeitgeist or whatever. You know, like everybody. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. like I, I, it's actually really funny. I was at um, I went to a liquor store last night to buy a bottle of wine, and there were a bunch of younger, uh, like. I guess, the, you know, they were obviously over 21, but like, you know, college student age kids mm-hmm. and they were buying some wine and the liquor store owner is this like cantankerous old guy who started like literally going, I don't understand why you're playing this Pokemon outside. Like, why do you need to play that game? You can play it at home in your, in your, in your PS3 or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I used to play that with my niece, literally not getting anything about what the game was. 
and totally telling them, you need to get over this game. Like, totally chastising them playing this <laughs> game. And it's like, you know, and, and he's like, yeah, they were out till 5 o'clock in the morning, standing around, because we have this thing called the commons in our town, where it's like a, um, it's basically a big common area where they blocked off some streets permanently. And mm-hmm. so uh, it's this really nice common area where you can just kind of go and hang out. And that's become a poke stop. Or a pokey, mm-hmm. you know, I guess it's a pokey stop. And so there are, I was just walking, like, after I left the liquor store, I, I walked down the street and I saw, like, literally hundreds of people walking around looking at their phones, meandering in circles trying to catch Pokemon. Oh, yeah. It's it's <laughs> it's a crazy phenomenon. Uh, my mom has started playing. Like, really? <laughs> everybody seems I, to be playing it. I took my daughter out onto, because I, I live right near Cornell. And we went up to the Cornell campus. And we just went running around all over the place playing the game, just going up hills, down hills, you know, all over the place. It was really fun. Yeah, well, and it's funny because that 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 cantankerous old man is probably the same kind of guy who's like, "You kids need to get out and exercise more, and put down the stupid <laughs> video games." It's like you can't have it both ways, old man. Yeah, he literally said, "Go back to your basement and play in your TV." <laughs> I, was, I was laughing. I was like, "You really don't understand what's going on here." But, I mean, it's actually really neat because um, that whole – very, very rapidly, that whole phenomenon of people putting their um, – you know, putting up, you know, lures out from their restaurants and uh, and their different shops is – it could – I mean, it's really weird. My brain tends to go to these weird things where I'm like, that could change economics Yeah. in a huge way. Like, if suddenly – if everyone's playing Pokemon in a small town – that has like you know those small stores that get usually get squashed by Walmart. If they start doing this, well, they're gonna have people going there instead of going to Walmart. Uh, just like when we say, well, you know, oh, that that business can't be that great. It doesn't have a website. Right. It's kind of <laughs> that could be the next evolution. Well, it's not. I don't know that I want to go there. It doesn't have a Pokestop. Yeah. I, apparently, there are restaurants that will that in New York City. I was talking to a friend of mine who said he went into a restaurant and there were people trying to walk in and get you know get their Pokemon. And the restaurant actually uh, had to block the restaurant to keep people from just walking in. Because oh, literally wow. people would walk, like, would walk in, grab their Pokemon, but then they're standing among the tables, you know? Yeah. Like, there are people eating, and these people just, like, meander in and start playing. So there's, it's going to be interesting, because there, there's going to have to be, like, a new, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like, etiquette. etiquette. Yeah, thank you, that's the right word. There's going to have to be a new etiquette for how you, you know, how you work with games like that, and or are stores going to want to like block Pokemon so that they can, you know, or places like, you know, is someone going to walk into your house because there's a Pokemon? I don't know. <laughs> like it really is like, what's going to happen here? But it's kind of neat. Yeah. No. And, and it's funny because, you know, it's all the, the original Pokemon. So that kind of inspired me to go and uh, download Pokemon yellow on my, uh, my 3DS and uh, play that. And that took me back because it's about, you know, it's a little less than twenty years old now, and it and it's a game that shows its age, <laughs> <laughs> especially since the you know the week previous I've been playing the the latest uh, version of Pokemon. So, um, it, it was kind of just very very nostalgic, very very fun little romp back in time. It's weird how nostalgia happens because when 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 Pokemon came out, I was like I guess it was in college, so mm-hmm. it was not. Uh, you know, I was watching like, you know, crazy Japanese anime with my friends that was like, you know, 
adult anime and all this other stuff, like much more intense. So when I saw people watching Pokemon, I was like, ah, that looks kind of kind of junky animations. I'm not really going to watch that. So I never really, mm-hmm. I never, I never, I was not really in the right space for the game or for the animation or anything. But it's weird how it seeps into through the back door of your brain. Yeah. And how like even though I never played those games, when we were going running around and we grabbed a Pikachu, you know, I was like, oh wow, that was a Pikachu. That was so cool. And I was like. How did I get geeky about this? Like, without, <laughs> like, seeped into my into my brain somehow. And it's funny. Yeah, yeah. And um, the the last thing I think I did this week uh, was yesterday. We went and saw the new Ghostbusters, which I don't know if you've been following all the controversy around the new Ghostbusters. Yeah, I. It, it's a weird. It's weird. I was actually contemplating seeing it uh, yesterday, but it just didn't work out timing wise. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I. I want to ask you, how was it? But, um, you know, I know you probably don't want to necessarily say that on the podcast, but... Uh... No, I'm I'm perfectly happy to say it on the podcast because we've we've talked about it a couple times uh, with several different guests as it was being um, produced. And, and, you know, we went from being, this is ridiculous, guys, why are you bagging on it just because it's women? And then the previews came out and we're like, all right, are we just defending it because it's got women? And, you know, are we not, are we not looking at it for what it really is? So I knew no matter what I was going to see it, I didn't want it to go the way of those movies that get such bad ratings from the public that you're, "Eh, I'm not going to waste my time. So we went to see it and it was a fun movie and I laughed out loud at times. And was it the best thing ever? Absolutely not. Were there flaws in the movie? Absolutely. But it was it was a decent, fun summer film. Okay. Yeah, and and just like and again I'm I'm scaling this out so the geeks that don't like this idea of women ghostbusters are gonna be like, How dare you make the comparison? But where Force Awakens you were kinda like you, you would leave the theater going, It's a new movie, but it very much had the feel of the original. Yeah. This did the same thing. Really? That's great. Yeah, it's not the same movie. It's definitely its own creature, but it was very respectful to the original property. And, and yeah, it was a good homage, as my husband is saying from his computer next to me. My, 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 only, my only take on it, my only negative to it was not that it was women at all, but that, mm-hmm. do we really need another Ghostbusters? That was literally my only thing. I was like, I really love the first Ghostbusters so much that when the second Ghostbusters movie came out, I was horribly disappointed. And the cartoons, mm-hmm. they never, like, that movie was so, like, what do you call it? Uh, perfect in its own right. Mm-hmm. I never liked any of the other, like, uh, things that came out of it. So I guess I was kind of like, do we really need it? Like, isn't the first one so good that, you know that it doesn't need it, uh, another one, but you know maybe it maybe it does. I don't know. Well, and this this felt like it, this didn't feel like we're going to make a Ghostbuster movie and we're going to be different and and we're going to put women in it. It felt like it didn't feel like a cash grab movie, if that makes sense. Okay. It, it felt like we have a story that we want to tell. and We kind of think it would be fun, and we hope you think it's fun too. That's cool. That's yeah. That's great. I mean, that's what you want, right? I mean, you want it to be out of an honest place of not just like. Oh yeah, they're gonna make another Transformers movie to you know like <laughs> exactly you know I mean I think that's the 
that's the risk you run with doing sequels anyway, is that balance between is it a uh, is it done just for a cash grab or is it done for um, there is an actual story to tell, right? You know, and I think that's you know, I mean, it's even stuff we deal with in, when you're writing comics is like, you know, um, I, I, you know, I worked on some of the monthly comics in the past, and I have determined that I like stories that have an end mm-hmm. more than the idea that the characters need to go on forever. Because at a certain point, the you have to accept so many loops to keep Spider-Man living in Queens with his Aunt May mm-hmm. uh, after you know, 50 years, uh, that trying to, to, you know, read a continuity into that is really, really difficult. But I find that I really, really enjoy the standalone stories where you can kind of say, you just have to take it as this is a story that happened in Spider-Man's life at this point and deal with it. As opposed mm-hmm. to like, you know, and I'd rather, I, I kind of rather that they say, this is a Spider-Man story that needs to be told, not we need to have a book out this month. Right. I, I completely agree with you. I think both comic books and television shows need to go to a more tell the story in as many issues slash episodes as you need to and then step away. Yeah. You know, a little like the British model of TV, like they do their series, but it can be six episodes. It can be 12 episodes. It can be as many episodes as they think they need to tell the story. And then you you don't run into the problem of these filler episodes because we have to make our 12 or our 22. Right, yeah. I mean, that and, like, one of the thoughts I had, I mean, of course, you know, I, I was thinking about how to recreate the world, but uh, mm-hmm. the, the one of the thoughts I had was, wouldn't it be cool if you could be, let's say you were a Marvel and you have the X-Men, and you just say, get, you know, three different creative teams, each one to do a four-issue arc, and then you just run them one after the other, and they can be completely non 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 sequential with each other. It would just be, you know, these are the X-Men. So maybe this group of X-Men is the Wolverine X-Men with, you know, Nightcrawler and all that and this group of X-Men is the all-female group of X-Men and that group of but each time you're going to get a new X-Men book, but the but the arcs are going to be completely different stories because it's what the creators are making and coming up with cool stories for rather than being constrained by oh, well, you have to catch up to this continuity or that continuity. And I think comics are kind of going that way nowadays. And that's good. I mean, I I, I think that probably is a lot to tribute to the, the graphic novel mindset that a lot of people have. I'll just... Yeah. The same thing with the Netflix uh, generation. It's like, I'll just wait until it's done, and then I'll read the whole thing altogether. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, like, like watching, downloading uh, Daredevil into your brain through Netflix. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Over the course of, like, what, 20 hours, I think it was, you know? Yeah. <laughs> now, how about you? What what geeky stuff did you do this week? Uh, well, okay, like I said, I went, up to, uh, I went up to the Cornell campus and ran around for a few hours with my kids catching Pokemon and uh, tried to resist doing it myself, walking down the street a couple times. Uh, <laughs> I, I went to – I actually – I started, I, my, my 13-year-old son just started watching Buffy with me, so that was like, that's why I was mentioning Buffy earlier, because like that was on the top of my mind. I'm like, oh my god, I can actually share Buffy with him now, and he gets it, you know? That's awesome. Yeah, so it was really exciting, because it's like, it, the other side of it is you start to realize just how dated it looks. Uh, oh, yeah. First season, it's like, really, like, they had no money at all, but they still told great stories, so it's really fun. Um, and um, I was, well, okay, I was, one of my geek quote-unquote pastimes, (laughs) 
is coming up with new geeky things to to make. So mm. um, we, I was talking to a friend of mine who um, has a, uh, a a company that makes statuettes. So we were we were just like in our free time designing statuettes for stuff. And um, so yeah, sitting around designing statuettes is my ge- my time of geekiness. You know, like coming up with new characters to make statuettes out of and stuff like that. So it's really now are these are these existing properties or are uh, these things that you're just like I want a woman with blue hair and so devil wings. These are things that I've made that will potentially be made and unfortunately probably can't talk about them. Gotcha. But yeah, which is really like yeah, I hate that thing, but like yeah, you uh the we were we were it started off as a what do you think about trying it like this and then a you know a big session of sketching and talking and drawing and then you know, excitedly putting things down on paper and then, oh, wait, maybe we can make this actually happen. Okay, now we suddenly have to start talking about business. <laughs> so uh-huh. so it, that's that. it is weird. Like, I was thinking about this. Like, the, the biggest geeky thing I like to do is make geeky things. Like, of all the, the things I like to do is I like to make geeky things. I like to make paintings and toys and horror stuff and comics and all that. So, like, if I'm – if I – play versus playing a game or watching a movie i would rather make something so so like we have uh my wife and i are building like these monster statues for our house to put around the house like little thing it's just very bizarre little things so like yeah how can we make our house more geeky like that kind of stuff yeah it's awesome yeah it's weird it's all very homegrown kind of kind of you know do-it-yourself kind of thing so i guess um I guess somewhere deep down, I have that whole like mini comic. I, you can make it yourself in your backyard kind of a th- mentality. So I'm always trying to make new things. It's, uh, that's kind of what drives me. That's that's exciting. That's so much fun, and it, it sounds like you have a, a blast doing it. Yeah, it's it's a it's well, it's a, both a blast to make stuff, and then it's a blast to produce it because mm-hmm. in a way it's like just this little way of like you're kind of like the world's inspired you and now you're giving a little bit of that back. It's kind of a cool, like, so writing stories and, and making stuff like that is kind of like this feeling of like, I can, I can, I can take in what everyone's given me and now give it back in my own little package. And then I want to share it. Like if I didn't have to charge money for things, I wouldn't because I'd like to just share it with everybody. Uh huh. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I mean, cause just because that, that's the joy of it is like you make something not to have it sit in your room and your wall. You make it so that everyone can enjoy it too, and so I think that's the excitement is uh, like you know like even working on Only Living Boy like the excitement is showing it to someone and seeing their eyes light up and go oh yeah wow I get it and then you can have a conversation about it and then they they ask you when are you doing the next one I'm like well I'll get to it <laughs> that's, that's awesome that's very very cool. Well, since you brought it up, why don't we we move right on to our feature today, which is The Only Living Boy. Those of you who are used to my format know that there should be news here, but honestly, everything is either this is all the fun stuff that happened while people were playing Pokemon Go, <laughs> or yeah, or or this is what is going to be news at Comic-Con. Right. So I'm sure next week will be very news-filled, but this week it is all about um, what will be and Pokemon Go. So, Only Living Boy, uh, you just released the second book to bookstores? Yep. Yeah, the second book, second volume um, called Beyond Sea and Sky is now out. So, uh, and it, it's, 
if if you've read the original comics in comic form, it's mm-hmm. some of that material and then some new material. So it's, okay, so you do add new material yeah, into the. I get I'm getting maybe I'm getting a little mixed up, but I believe there's new material in it uh, for the for the stuff. But yeah, the the what what happened is we started off as a as a um as a floppy comic kind of you know regular comic and we got a publisher to to uh to, you know paper cuts to do it as um as books and to get into bookstores and stuff like that um for you know a, a wider audience so what um so the first few comics are in the first two volumes and then after that it's all new material so there's some some new material in this one and the next one is all brand new. So if you've already read it, you know, although, you know, um, it, it's, it's a nicer format than the floppy, but yeah, the, the, there's some of the materials new and some of the materials not. That's okay. awesome. We, we talked about, uh, the only living boy boy way back in episode seven when I had the writer David Gallagher on. Uh, and he's the one who put me in touch with you. But for those who have joined us since then or who um, who don't remember, what is The Only Living Boy about? Uh, okay. The Only Living Boy is about a 12-year-old boy, Eric, who runs away from home. Um, we don't really – at the beginning of the story, we don't really know why. And um, he falls asleep in Central Park and finds himself when he wakes up, kind of like Rip Van Winkle, he wakes up in this brand-new world. Um, and the world is an amalgam of New York City and all of these alien, uh, different worlds, different pieces of different worlds. So he recognizes some of it and doesn't recognize a lot of it. So it's kind of part New York City and part 20 other different worlds, uh, that have been mashed together. And <clears throat> so, and he's missing a large portion of his memory. Um, and he very quickly gets scooped up into a, um, kind of a struggle for survival in the new world and a uh, struggle with all these different factions that are vying for power in the new world. Um, and it, it's so it's kind of there's a little part of, you know, Island of Dr. Moreau in there. And there's a part of like, you know, um, I guess you'd say John Carter of Mars kind of feeling. It's very mm-hmm. it's like a it's it's kind of pulpy and it, it, it comes out of a um, what do you call it? Kind of a. Uh, just just super adventure fun uh, book with some you know some darker tones to it too. Yeah, I remember uh, David mentioning that he he always saw it as kind of a, a wanting to have a, a Saturday morning cartoon feel to it. Yeah, he he. I think it's deeper than that. Um, he says that, and I always when I think of Saturday morning cartoon, I think of like Hanna Barbera cartoons from when I was a kid, and I'm like, well, I I don't know if that's really. It's got a uh, it's got a it's. It's like that with a darker edge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's very adventurous. Like you could say, okay, there's some things in here that are definitely like you know, uh, what would you say like Thunder of the Barbarian. You know, it's this broken world kind of a thing. But then there's other stuff that like you know uh, comes from different kinds of like inspired by different kinds of literature. Like um, what is it? The uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or Alice in Wonderland, or um, you know you know, the kind of fish out of water and, and the danger of being alone as a 12 year old becomes very kind of powerful in the story. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a, it's a, you know, that's a, a major part that, that there's a constant 
kind of threat to it in a way. Now, do you have um, I mean, the the characters in this are are very there's all different types of creatures. Like it is very diverse in its character design. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I was going to ask have you have you just had a blast coming up with what these different races look like and and how they move and act? Yeah, oh, I mean, like yeah, uh, in in especially in this book. Um, we really kind of opened the world up a lot in the second book. Mm. Uh, and you start to see all these different places, you know, different cities and different, you know, uh, world, worlds that these things were ripped from. And trying, I, I love the idea of kind of being a, a, a fake biologist and coming up with, like, you know, well, how would this creature walk and how would this creature, you know, move around? And so, like, you've got, like, the sectarians, which are, you know, insect people hybrids that have this kind of weird insect... Um, like kind of weird technology all their own, but it doesn't resemble any kind of technology that we would have. And they, mm. they, <clears throat> there's like, um, and they, they have different, like, it's all stuff that some of it, I don't know if it actually comes out in the story thinking about it, but things like there are worker drones and fighter drones and all the characters have to go through a pupil stage where they find out what they're like. It's like, imagine like you're a kid and then at the age of 13, rather than going through puberty, you literally go into a cocoon and you wake up and you find out what you're going to be then. So you have no idea what your job in society is going to be until you go into the cocoon. And when you come out, you now have a life's mission. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of sets up a weird, like, uh, like psychological thing for the characters. And that was really cool. And then there was like, um, there are these mermaid, mermaid, uh, not, I, they're not really mermaids because they don't have fishtails, but they're they're underwater aquatic amphibian creatures mm-hmm. um, called the Myrmidonians. <clears throat> and, and just coming up with like even like the different kinds of architecture, like they base their whole world on um, all of their interior world is on based on coral and barnacles and, and seashells. So the you know figuring out that like everything in in, in their portion of the world is going to be designed on like. Um, you know the 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 conch shell shapes mm-hmm. versus the sectorians, which are very much built on the idea of you know everything has an exoskeleton and a chitinous shell and all that. So it's really fun to kind of like come up with all these different kinds of of uh, of really of really designing different worlds, you know. Yeah. Now, how much research do you do when you like? Did you did you research coral when you were looking at at starting to to draw these, or or was it more kind of just based on your your knowledge of you know just the 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 popular culture of you know what we see on TV and everything else? I have a I have a good memory, but not that good. So um, I do a lot of I do a lot of looking into it. Like I you know there are a lot of things that I make up. But it's usually not af- not until after I've I've kind of absorbed a lot. So for the sectorians, I had you know tons and tons of pictures of beetles and wasps all over my house um, to try to kind of come up with the looks I wanted. Mm-hmm. And then with the myrmidonians, yeah, I looked into a lot of like coral and seashell designs. I even went down the rabbit hole of of the uh, of phi, the Greek number system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it gets I get I get pretty intense in it. So when um when I'm designing, you know, because phi is the number of of uh, how they can calculate the it's a mathematical number that basically you can calculate the 
chambers of a conch shell, mm-hmm. um, and vice versa. You say you could find it, and you can find that number throughout throughout nature. So the so that number became very important to designing the Myrmidonian place because um, I wanted all of their home to feel like it was inside of a conch shell. So all the arcs. I mean, a lot of times I fudged it too, but uh, I tried to get keep the arcs within that range of that number, so the designs kind of went through that number. That's really interesting because I think it's one of those things that we, you know, I, I've definitely heard of of that, and and I know it is part of nature. It's just kind of this natural phenomenon. But um, to think that you know, if you weren't true to that. Even if we could recognize it as a shell, there might be something off to us that we wouldn't be able to, you know, it just wouldn't have the same impact. Yeah, it's really amazing like that, that it just a little bit being off, it starts to lose, especially, you know, when you're basing everything you're drawing off simple lines, mm-hmm. um, getting it wrong, <laughs> you don't have a lot of wiggle room. You know, like you get a, lot, a, a line wrong, it suddenly changes the perspective or changes the shape dramatically and, and doesn't have that. A lot of cartooning, I find, is about like, kind of an, an innate language, um, mm-hmm. and if you don't if you don't get the language right, people get thrown out of the story. They get confused, um, and so things like that, like you're saying, like if I, if you don't design it right, it doesn't feel like a seashell because you only have five lines to to show it, you know. Right. And so you can't really you have to be very brief. You have to choose your words very very wisely or your lines very very wisely. And so um, it becomes very, uh, it's a fun but difficult task. And I know, I'm sure I've failed several times in the book, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, everything that I've seen has been, has been pretty amazing. It's, it's a very fun style. Now, do you feel, how do you feel the, the art style on um, The Only Living Boy is compared to other things that you do? Is, is it pretty consistent or did you do anything new? when you approached this book? Well, you know, it, it's funny. Um, I, w- I was just talking to, to someone about, about uh, High Moon, which was the horror western I did with David a few years ago. And mm-hmm. uh, High Moon is very, very illustrative. Like, there's lots of... It's really dark and very illustrative, meaning a lot of lines and very rich with, you know, line, and the, the characters really kind of, you know, developed in this very almost... I wouldn't say realistic, but closer to realism kind of a way. And in mm-hmm. Only Living Boy, one of the things I didn't want to do, I very specifically didn't want to do, was to dumb the artwork down for kids. Because I've seen a lot of projects where they say, where it seems like they're going, well, kids won't care if the artwork's, you know, detailed or has a background. So we'll just throw the characters in and let it go, you know. And, and, it's, and what I've seen of kids, because I've had two of them, is that they're actually a lot smarter and they pick up on a lot more than you expect and they tend to know when you're talking down to them. Mm-hmm. Since I, Absolutely. Since, since I knew this book, I wanted this book to have a range um, where, you know, people like, uh, you know, they're the one company is selling the books to, you know, eight to 13 year olds. But then one of our largest online audiences, you know, is, uh, is 18 to 24 year old women. Oh, yeah. Wow. It's really interesting. Um, and part of that, I think, is because we didn't – I wanted it to feel as rich as it would feel if you were to read any professional comic out there. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so like when I see a lot of comics, they tend to dumb it down and I, I did for kids and I didn't want to do that. So I wanted it to feel just as, you know, and David too, when he's writing it, he, he wants the, the, the psychology and the mentality and the thoughts that go behind it to be just as, uh, intense as it would be for an adult. Um, so we don't talk down to the kids. And I think, uh, you know, that's why I think we get a, a wide audience of readers and, um, and so because of that, my backgrounds, I was saying this to, to, to someone earlier this week, my backgrounds tend to be really, I tend to really go into like rich detail with them. The figures, mm-hmm. I want to pull them a little, uh, I simplify them so they pop off the page a little more. So whereas in, in High Moon, the, the, it's, a, it's a little bit more like everything's of the same space. I wanted the characters to kind of, in the, that old like Looney Tunes way, where mm-hmm. drew Bugs Bunny by hand with pen and ink, and then they, you know, they filled in with flat color, and the background were these beautiful watercolor paintings. The really right. old, the really really old Looney Tunes. I kind of wanted that feel, a little bit. So if you look at Eric, he's a little bit simpler than the backgrounds, um, so that he pops off of them. Um, so I, I consciously wanted this kind of like. Uh, it also allows him to move a lot faster through the backgrounds if he's simple line and the backgrounds are detailed. He can move through them faster. It's, it's a weird like line and design thing. But um, so, yeah, I, I think the major difference is that it doesn't have that probably that grit that high moon had, um, right. but it still is as intense in some ways. Yeah. Cause I mean, I, I picked up uh, after talking to David, I picked up high moon um, and uh, I love the art in it. And it's, it, it is very, I, I, I guess the best way I can explain it is very feral. It is very, um, very wild. <laughs> it it is like you can you can feel the um. Th- there is a grittiness and a darkness to it that is is definitely not in uh, the only living boy. And so I I was just curious as to as to if that was you know if if you you approached each one differently and it sounds like you you very much did yeah I really had to, I mean it, it, it's uh one of the one of the, the the things I've been lucky enough is you know earlier on when I was younger um and I I switched over from comics to doing more gaming work then I eventually started mm-hmm. doing almost all gaming work for a while and my friend Jamal who's one of my my uh, Jamal Eigel, he's, he's like one of my oldest friends and he's like a, you know, kind of compatriot of mine. He kind of went the other direction. He went like super into comics and like was the regular artist on super, on Supergirl and other things. Mm-hmm. And, um, so he was in this one way of working for a long time, which I think allowed him to become a real expert in that. But what happened to me was I ended up trying to try a lot of different things. Um, because you know, I'd be like, oh, this client wants me to try oil paint. Okay, I'll try it. Let's see what happens. You know, um, and I failed a lot. But what that allowed me to do is to learn what worked for me and what cool things there are to try. So I think in a one way, for me at least, it allowed me to like expand my world to like, you know, watercolor, oil paint, ink, splatter, you know, pencil drawing, and then mix them all together. So when I did High Moon, if you look at a lot of it, like, there's watercolor and acrylic paint and ink and splattered paint and stuff like that all over it. Um, and then digital textures as well and stuff like that. 
and so that was kind of outgrew out of like I'm just gonna throw everything I like into this and see what happens. And it was only Living Boy I wanted to pull back a little bit to make it a little bit more consistent. Um, but mm-hmm. I still feel like like I, I don't think I would have been able to come up with the worlds being quite as uh, whacked out as they are if I hadn't had that uh, challenge of working in an industry where they were challenging you to just come up with new ideas that were totally different each time. Different mm-hmm. kinds of designs and different kinds of like, you know, we don't know what this thing should look like. Go make it up, you know. And and when you have that, and you kind of you kind of have this challenge of I have to make this look unique and interesting and fun and scary or whatever without looking like something else, without looking so weird that no one gets it. And that's a nice little delicate balance, and it's a it's a cool design thing to learn. So I think that um, kind of informed all the design stuff, the Only Living Boy, and then wanting to kind of put it together. I actually kind of feel like Only Living Boy is a little bit more uh, consistent than High Moon. That's also mm-hmm. a decision. High Moon was meant to be kind of an experiment in some ways. Yeah, because I, re- I remember I saw the I saw your art. I think first as um, Only Living Boy, and uh, and then when I got the the graphic novel for High Moon, I was like, oh wow, this is not what I expected at all. <laughs> That's and I, in a, in a good yeah. way, you know. Well, I also think that each story should have its unique, you know. I guess in film they call it mise en scène, you know, mm-hmm. and and like if a director of a film or a cinematographer of a film treated you know, uh, a horror movie the way, same way they would treat an adventure, it wouldn't, the language of the visuals just wouldn't make sense. So it's kind of a thing where, like, I think egotistically it's a little harder because you have to kind of say, I'm going to put my own instincts a little bit to the back so that I can achieve this look to open up a new door rather than just kind of going, I'm going to put my stamp on everything exactly how it looks, depending, no matter what the subject matter is. Yeah. It, it, it definitely, I think, I think pays off, uh, in, in the two books. Nice. Thanks. I'm, I'm really excited because we get to work. We're, we're going to be, um, if everything, if all the stars align correctly, we're going to be doing more high moon. And that's really exciting to me to be able to get back into that kind of, like I said, feral headspace. <laughs> Yeah, well, and I, and I always, I've always loved um, werewolf uh, horror. I think that that's kind of, and to set it in the Wild West, is uh, it's just kind of fun. Like you know, it, it it adds a different dynamic that you don't always see in in those kind of movies. So um, it's fun. So yeah, it's an it's a neat it's a neat Have world. Have you seen Penny Dreadful? I haven't, and everybody yells at me. No, for it's not. just that there's a you've seen you've read Dracula, or you mm-hmm. know how there's that like Texas guy who's hanging around in Dracula, who's like a buddy with, uh, I forget his name, Hawking, Hawker, no, Harker. Yes. And he, and he's in love with Lucy. Like everybody seems mm-hmm, in love with Lucy. Mm-hmm. Well, that kind of character is in Penny Dreadful. And I don't want to give too much away, but it's very similar to High Moon. And I was, <laughs> like, so I've, I've been scooped, I feel like to some degree, but it's cool. It's cool. Um, you know, cause it's a Western, you know, it, it's, it's, yeah, <laughs> I just. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to add that into the list of of reasons why I need to convince my husband that uh, Penny Dreadful is is something that we Penny need. Penny Dreadful's watch. very cool and incredibly uh, over the top, and in some ways it's awesome, and in some ways it's like 
they put too many things in the stew. Gotcha. But I I like it for that reason. It's just it's not it's not elegant necessarily, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, thank you for for sharing uh, the Only Living Boy and High Moon with us. Are you making any appearances? Anything coming up in the next uh, couple of months? Well, let's see. Um, we're working on. Okay, well, I'm going to be at uh, Twin Tiers Comic Con uh, in upstate New York. Well, yeah, upstate New York um, in August. I don't remember the dates on that. Um, I'm going to be. We're going to be doing a signing in early August. I think the first weekend in August in Philadelphia. We're going to be doing like a four uh, a four store signing tour, and then. Um, the uh we're we're probably gonna end up at Baltimore because uh we got nominated for Harvey Award, so we're gonna go down there and try and get a table at the Baltimore show and uh and sit up there and that's like mid September. So well, congratulations. Thank, thank you very much. Yeah, so so yeah, we got a, a Harvey for uh for the only living boy. This is like our it's kinda it's kinda neat because it's like our we've done this before, so it's kinda cool. Um hopefully we'll win this time. Um we were up against some really tough competition, and we're up against some really tough competition again this year. So we can just cross our fingers. But uh, I'll be, I'm going up to uh, to going down. I'll at least be going for the awards, but hopefully be at the show. And then in November, I'm going to be going to um, now they're going to kill me because I'm going to get the name wrong. New Jersey Comic Expo. Okay. And uh, so that's in November, like the first weekend in November. And other than that, I'm probably going to be doing some store signings. I just don't have my schedule all figured out. But we've been, like, David and I have been doing this thing where um, we've been going to stores and libraries and comic book stores, like bookstores, libraries, and comic book stores, and trying to coordinate going to all three in a region um, so that, like, you know, because you get three different groups of people. <clears throat> and right. when we go to the libraries, and, I mean, when we go to all of them, we've been doing, like, a, um, a how to make comics kind of a uh uh a class for for people so uh we have like a we we like we do it in comic book stores that have like the table space we'll do like a little you know how to make comics class um Mm -hmm. and usually we get younger 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 kids but we've had people like you know all different ages there kind of just doing like a basic kind of comic thing and um so we were doing that a lot earlier this spring, and, and then we had to finish the book. So we were like, okay, no more appearances for a while until we get this book done. Um, so I think in the fall, we're probably going to start doing that again, too. So it, it's it's really uh, juggling all the schedules of the different stores and uh, and trying to, you know, trying to figure out when we can travel where and how. Um, but it's a lot of fun because you get to see people really – Kind of remember what I was saying before about sharing art with people. When you have other people mm-hmm. like creating their own stories and you're helping them kind of realize that they can do it, it's really exciting. That's people cool. who never thought they could do it before, you're like, no, here, it's this simple. Just do this and this and this, and then you can make your own little short story. And they do, and they're they they walk away like, I don't know. It's just cool to see them walk away. I'm a, there's a part of me that's a big time a teacher at heart, so I'm seeing mm-hmm. other people kind of come into their own and things. So. Well, I'm a I'm I'm an English teacher, but I'm also a drama teacher, and so I I, I understand a little bit of that when you have that kid have the break breakthrough on stage, and you're like, there you go, you, you just got it. And uh, and I teach illustration up at Syracuse University, and it is such an amazing experience to watch. I mean, you don't always get that, but when you get a student who just hits that, you know, that moment where 
they they're they're like they get it and you see the click go off in their head and their brain just expands and their eyes open and they're like oh my god i understand it you know it's such an amazing uh it's an amazing feeling it definitely is it definitely yeah, it's, is it's great very cool well thank you steve like this has just been an absolute pleasure getting to talk yeah, to you it's been okay. really really great I, I really appreciate it joe it's it's been uh, really fun to get kind of it's kind of nice to be able to talk about things in a different way than 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 the usual kind of interview stuff so it's been really fun uh do you have any shout outs to anybody before we we start wrapping things um up? let's see like to friends to say hi or <laughs> what, what whatever you want to do uh, I, okay i'd like to shout out to a good friend of mine uh jason rosen who is going through some uh a rough patch right now and a shout out to jason to jamal eigel and to david i guess david gallagher and uh, I shout out to my kids, but I don't think they listen to podcasts. So that's <laughs> out to my family. Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, that's that's about. Uh, I guess that's about it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, a shout out to you for for giving up your your Sunday morning, and uh, a shout out to David for for connecting the two of us because I'm I'm very glad he did. Yeah, it's been really great talking to you. It's really been fantastic. Yeah. Coming up next week, we're going to be doing all Comic-Con all the time. So I think what I'm going to try and do is is take – I've got a new recorder, so hopefully we don't have audio problems again like we did uh, at the the comic book release. And uh, try and get some fun interviews, talk to some f- fun people, and we'll throw it all together in next week's show. So I'm not quite sure what you're getting next week, but it will be a it will be Comic Con centric because uh, we'll be down there. So that will be next Monday. All the music in this episode is by Ben Sound and is being used under a Creative Commons license. You can find more music by Ben Sound at bensound.com. Uh, You can currently find us at geektitude.com, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and most other podcatchers out there. Please leave us a review and spread the word. If you'd like to contact me, you can send me an email at joehogan at geektitude.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter at geektitude, or me personally at epicgrays. Steve, where can we find you? Um, Well, let's see. Um, I'm on... Facebook as Hyper Steve. I'm on Twitter as Hyper Steve. You know, Steve Ellis on Facebook or Hyper Steve. I don't know. Twitter as Hyper Steve. Instagram as Hyper Steve. And I try to post stuff to Instagram, uh, pictures of stuff that I'm working on in process. So, uh, like, I try to, you know, do different things so you can see what, what I'm up to. Um, and that's pretty much it. I, I have, like, a DeviantArt page, but um, I always forget to upload it so or update it. So, uh and I have my website, which is steveellisart.com. And then um, bottled underscore lightning.com is our, our uh, website for The Only Living Boy and High Moon and all that stuff. Well, very cool. We'll put links to all of those places on our show notes. All right. Uh, for we're we're going to wrap up the show now, but um, I'm going to immediately after the closing music add um, our interview from the uh, the midnight release on Tuesday. So please stick around for that. And uh, thanks again, Steve, for joining us. Thanks a lot, Joe. For all of you listening out there, remember this week, keep it geek. Hi, my name is Joe Hogan. I'm the host of the Geek to Two podcast, and we are here at Interstellar Comic Books and Collectibles in downtown Palm Springs. I'm here with owner Adrian Cuevas, and uh, tell us what we're doing here tonight. 
We're having the midnight release for Civil War Two issue three. It's gonna the midnight release is gonna have a special uh, variant, and we'll um, reveal on the cover when you remove it. You have to un- you have to open it. You reveal a sketch cover by Joe Casada reveals who dies in that issue, which will be an Avenger, which I've already read it. I haven't told anyone yet, uh-huh, uh-huh. but everybody's asking me. I'm not. I'm not telling anyone yet. Now, for, for those of us who haven't been keeping up with the book, can you give us? This is issue three of uh, Civil War Two, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you give us kind of just a brief synopsis of uh, Civil War, the the first two issues? Okay, so on the first two issues, Ulysses is a new human, and just a regular guy um, goes to college. Um, and then the Terrigen Mist comes by and he just gets inhuman powers. But his power, he can tell the future, but it kind of just comes at him. And okay. it, um, he can see probable futures, okay. which um, may or may not come true. So he can see somebody he's going about, about to um, uh, rob someone or rob someone at gun, gunpoint. And he'll tell, and then um, they can come in, uh, like Spider-Man can come in and intervene. And then that future that he saw never happened, but it was possible if they never intervened. Gotcha. And so in the first few issues, um, he sees that Thanos is going to come for the Cosmic Cube. So they arrive, and the Avengers the Avengers are already there because of Ulysses. Already, it was supposed to be a surprise attack, and the Avengers are already there because Ulysses told them. Well, um, it goes wrong, and War Machine dies. War Machine gets killed, and uh, She-Hulk goes to the hospital. And then that makes... Um, and that makes uh, Iron Man freak out because that's his best friend. But also on the other side is Carol Danvers, uh, Captain Marvel, who War Machine is her boyfriend. So they're on the opposite sides, and they both lost somebody equal in their lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ulysses is caught in the middle of it, and they're they're saying like, should we u- use Lu- Ulysses' power to uh, predict the future and stop prevent um, catastrophe, or um, we should not be arresting or attacking people for things they have not done yet? And then finally, this gets into a heated argument at Stark Tower, and then Ulysses has this big um, vision that normally he, experience, he experience, experiences his visions, and normally he experiences it himself, but this time he had a vision so powerful, it affected everybody in the room experienced it, all of the Avengers. And the one that they experienced was the Hulk killing everyone. The Hulk killing all of the Avengers. Like every single one of so them. So big enough that now they really do have a crisis as to whether yes. or not they're going to act on this. So issue two ends with Carol Danvers confronting Bruce Banner. So the description of issue three says that the Hulk is going to kill someone. We just don't know who that is. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so that's, that's why this is such a big deal and why they're doing a big midnight release yeah. for it. Because a, a major character is going to die. Yeah. Very cool. Are there any other special uh, issues coming out tonight, or is that the prominent one? That's the prominent one. There's also a lot of tie-ins, like Gods of War, uh, Amazing Spider-Man, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Deadpool, lots of tie-ins, which, if if you've been trying to keep up with Civil War, a lot of main plot points are kind of happening in the other issues, like in Captain America, Sam Wilson, number number 10, was uh, the funeral for War Machine. And in after issue two, when the Inhumans were mad at Tony Stark, in Uncanny Inhuman, the Inhumans attacked Tony Stark. Yeah, so you would have to read some of the tie-ins to know what, like the repercussions of some of the events that are going on in the main series. Gotcha. And um, also is the Marvel Now Marvel Now previews, which will be um, announcing a bunch of new uh, series that are going to be coming out in the fall. Very cool. And are, do you have any predictions of those that you're really looking forward to that you think are going to be top-notch? 
there's a few. I don't know. Well, I guess I could get, go get away and say some of them. One of them, I, everybody freaked out over the uh, the Riri Williams becoming Iron Man, but I'm mm-hmm. I'm one that nobody talked about that I'm very interested in is the uh, Doctor Doom Iron Man, which he's been showing up. He's the only series he's been showing up in since the ending of Secret Wars, which he was the main antagonist for, is Iron Man, which I want to know what what he's doing now as Iron Man. Gotcha. But yeah, there's lots of like other ones like um, Hawkeye, uh, Kate Bishop is getting her own ongoing. Uh, Steve Rogers. There's one other one. Oh, the uh, Mercs for Money. The Deadpool's Mercs for Money. They're getting their own series. Lots of them. Slapstick, Solo, uh, Fool Killer are all getting their own ongoings by themselves. Now, is that a lot of uh, why all the... There's a lot of variant covers with like that half Deadpool... Yeah, sure. is that where that was leading yeah, to? Yeah, because that that last the I'm really interested in the the Deadpool Civil War tie-in because after that last one, the Mercs for Money. I know it's called Deadpool and, and the Mercs for Money, but really the Mercs for Money left Deadpool. They don't work for him anymore. They created their own DMC. That's why they're getting their own ongoing. But then also the members individually are also getting their own comics. Okay, so there's actually like a full set of spinoffs coming. Yeah, out. yeah. Like Solo, Cool Killer, and Slapstick. Three of the members are getting their own solos. Now, would you say Marvel's making um, a big push right now? Is this because this seems to be a very, um, very Marvel heavy, heavy time? Is DC pushing strong too, or DC is too? DC's like DC. They're not making dramatic changes to their characters like they did with Iron Man or Thor. Um, but um, DC's bringing it back to how it used to be. They're not doing any. Like weird DC universe, I mean, uh, weird New Fifty Two things anymore. Gotcha. They're just trying to get it back to how it used to be, the things that everybody used to love, which is bringing lots of like I've noticed lots of people who used to read comics back into it because they're like, this is the Batman I remember, this is the Superman I remember, this is the Wonder Woman I remember, which haven't really been around since they try to update them in New Fifty Two. So where Marvel's trying to kind of update all their characters and make them accessible for a lot more people. Uh, DC's going for more of the nostalgia of yeah. these of the characters I know. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Exactly. Very cool. Now, since I've got you, I know you're going to have to probably uh, go and actually <laughs> work at your store yeah, yeah. in a little bit. But um, talk to me about, about owning your store, because there's probably a few listeners out there who think you have the dream job. How, is, how has it been? How long have you been open? Um, what tips have you learned? What things have you uh, seen as a comic book store owner? I've learned that there's a lot of different comic book collectors, like lots of different people. Like there, there'll be the people that want every single issue, but they don't care about collecting. They care just about the story. Mm-hmm. And then I've seen other people who see it solely as a collectible, which they will like. They, they bag and board it immediately, and they'll never touch it. And they'll even buy two copies, which it, they'll buy two copies: one to like save and to own to sell later, and one to actually read. Mm-hmm. But not neither way is bad. But it's just I've seen that there's those two different people. And then we've been open, coming up at the end of the week, we'll be open seven months, which has been pretty good. Like, uh, it's been steadily rising. Like, it's a, it's been pretty good. Last month was probably our, like, our best month so far, and it's been steadily rising, and I hope, I hope, um, there's one thing I've noticed here. It's like, I hope, I hope it steadily rises by, like, I hope I get more people into it, because I know it's, like, there's comic book lovers in the valley, but there's not really comic book readers or collectors very mm-hmm. much. Not at least not ones lo- like the ones that stay here in the valley locally, because lots of the, the comic book collectors that do live here that I see are ones that make trips out to LA all the time. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So now, like, I hope that like 
now they start getting into it and they start seeing why like we love the, the heroes that we see on TV, the ones that we see on movies. Like this is where they originated from. Who knows from the next few years, but maybe like the character that your kids are gonna like are ones that you read when you were their age. Mm-hmm. Which or is happening now, like we're creating new characters left and right. But yeah, um I just hope that like the community as a whole that comic book lovers in the valley grows. Yeah. And like not only just with my shop but with also the the, the Palm Springs Comic Con and things like that. Like I just feel like the community's like especially this year, like I, I was telling a friend of mine, I was like I'm trying to take it out of my perspective as a comic book store owner, but it's like, I kind of feel like this year, people are getting a lot more into comics than they used to be. Yeah. Like, suddenly, like, people freaked out. It's like, oh, Captain America's Hydra. It's like, you care. Like, you're starting to care. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like, like everyone's like, oh, Iron Man's going to be a black woman, 15-year-old girl. And it's like, but you care. Yeah. Like, see, you, like, like, if that happened a few years ago, no one would have said a word. But, like, now everyone seems to care. Like, some people seem to be picking up the book and seeing what's going on. Like, that's the thing. People might be mad at Marvel, but, hey, you're picking up the book and you're seeing what's going on. Yeah, you're invested. Yeah, you're yeah, somehow yeah. invested into this. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just product. like, people are caring a lot more lately than they have been in the last few years. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Adrian, I got to say, I, I've, I'm so glad that your store is here because now I feel like I have a home store to come to. Yeah. And, you know, you have my pull list. And I highly recommend anybody who is listening to this or watching this. Um, definitely stop by the store. And uh, Adrian's a great guy. He is a very easy to talk to. He'll help you with any of your comic needs. I'm a, uh, I'm a little shy at first, but once you get me open, I'll talk to you forever. Yeah, <laughs> and he's, he's a great guy. So come in, use him as a resource, use him as the resource that he is, and uh, and come in and visit us. And, and that's it. Thanks, Adrian. Yeah, guys, have a good night.